Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This program was previously broadcast live on Love Sport Radio, so some items may be out of date. Phone-in elements of these shows are not available, but if you'd like to comment or give us feedback on our shows, you can tweet us at Love Sport Radio. For more podcasts or to listen live, visit lovesportradio.com. Alternatively, you can find this and other podcasts on iTunes or Spotify using the keyword Love Sport. Good evening, this is Love Sport. I am Matt Beadle and you are listening to the Leeds United Fan Show. Of course you are, what else could you be listening to with that music? I'm joined by John McKenzie from All Stats, aren't we, as per. How are you, John? I'm very good, it's good to have you back. Yes, yes, I'm making a return, of course. I was away last week, left the show in wonderful hands. Mm. Charlie Hawkins, of course, he spoke very highly of you. And Jack Hardy is joining us as well. How are you, Jack? Uh, yes, yes, I mean, I wish we were meeting again under better circumstances. I know, mate, we yes, we're definitely going to get onto that. Of course, there was... The 2-1 defeat away to Millwall last week. The first time, lads, Millwall have scored more than one goal in the Championship this season. But I'm sure you're aware of that, John, of course, with your stats. Delighted to say we've got Noel Whelan on the line line later. Cannot wait to chat to him. Thomas Wilson is also coming up. And then we'll have your usual listener questions. Just a very quick update from the international scene. England in Prague tonight, of course. If they beat the Czech Republic, they qualify for Euro 2020. Harry Kane scored first for England. But then Jakub Brabec equalised for the home side. So as things stand, it's Czech Republic 1, England 1. But enough of that. It is time, John. For the all-important stat of the week, yeah, I've got um, I've got a Jack Harrison stat for you. Gritty, uh, much m- much maligned Jack Harrison. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, Jack Harrison has the highest total key passes, with eleven passes in the league so far, um, which is one point zero nine per ninety. So you may be thinking that Jack Harrison's had a terrible season, but the stats don't necessarily agree with you. <laughs> there we go. What do we say about stats, Jack? It's always the same. Well, I mean, I think the other crucial stat is that isn't he got one of the lowest crossing percentages <laughs> in the entire league? Yeah. So he's it depends also, on which stat you prepare. He's also got the highest, one of the highest touches in the box per winger um, without a goal, <laughs> I think. Oh, oh, he's really? got a goal early on, but he's got very, very high um, touches in the box um, stats, which is, doesn't bode well given that he's barely got any uh, production from that. Barely any production from that. Well, how was his production last week, chaps? Oh, God, do we want to talk about it? We're going to talk about it because I could not believe this result when I saw it. I was away in Barcelona, but paying heavy, close attention, of course, to Leeds United's results, as I do week in, week out these days. And after that performance against West Brom, which I'm sure you spoke plenty of during last week's show, such a a disciplined, well-oiled victory over West Brom to then see that result. And I know that there was the manager bounce, I suppose you could say, but... With regards to Millwall, I'm not even sure that could apply because it wasn't like they disliked Neil Harris. It wasn't like he was on a particularly bad run. He just decided to leave. So there was no real manager bounce, but the result was 
what it was. Who wants to go first here? Well, you may be surprised, but we're not at all. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, you can talk about manager bounce, but we've had it every time we played Millwall at the, the yeah. Den it's in the last few years. Like they've won nine out of 11 or something, is it? If I lived on my 105, I'll never see us win at the Den. It's just a terrible, terrible place for Leeds United. Well, fans. why do you think that is? Because I know that we have eras of football and personnel changes and managerial changes. They are different teams. Is there something ingrained within... <laughs> The Leeds psyche and the setup that passes on from team to team, whereby you just can't seem to get a win there. Might not strictly be down to Leeds and uh, <laughs> the performance on the pitch, should we say? But right, I say, see. It's a difficult venue to visit, I think, mm. sometimes. Uh, and uh, I know that sometimes players psychologically can struggle to uh, get going, really, at Millwall. Because it's, it's a loud place. The players, uh, sorry, the fans let you know that they're there. Um, and I think psychologically, it's something that we've always been a bit brittle about. And the longer that goes on, and especially, you know, Leeds is a big game for Millwall. Um, they they always say that, and they, you can tell they're really up for it every time we go down. And that is something that is going to rub off on the players one way or another, even if we've got a team as good as we currently do. I would also add to that the fact that, at least in the Bielsa era, Millwall are the sort of team that Leeds are going to struggle with. They are a team who will look to be um, defensively strong and will look to try and score against you in set pieces. And that's, you know, that, that's the two things that Leeds struggle with breaking down well-organised defences and uh, defending set pieces so uh, I think there's the, there's certainly that um, explanation as well and also just just the narrative um, I don't like going into narratival explanations very often but I think we just expect that it's going to be a difficult game at the Den and it always is as a result I think The thing is though and I understand those arguments but in today's game particularly it shouldn't be it shouldn't have to be an issue, right, for players. It should be something they're aware of, whether that's something that the club needs to look at and say, right, you need to be psychologically repaired to go into the lion's den, pardon the pun. But we know what the atmosphere can be like inside the den. So as a professional footballer, that's something that you should be able to deal with and adjust to. I think so, but we've, we've mentioned psychology on this show before. And again, it's, that's not something I really like talking about a lot because how do you quantify psychological impacts and stuff? But we've seen it after Matthias Click missed the penalty um, against Derby. And, uh, you know, you've got you've to realise the context of, of this Leeds game is in the, in this, in the fact that um, Berardi gets sent off after 14 mm. minutes. So you have another one of those. You have the player being sent off, an immediate penalty, and then a sense of, oh, here we go again. Mm. Um, they give away another silly goal, and then it's an uphill battle. And I think Leeds played quite well, I thought, in the second half. Um, uh, but you, th- there's not really anything you can do to, to, to mediate for that sort of thing happening. So uh, it's one of those things where I think because of the fact that we've lost a game, um, we lost a couple of games, this one feels like, oh, you know, we've lost another game. But you've got to, you have to, got to read the game in the context of that red card decision. Mm. Speaking of that red card decision... Was it, Jack, a red card? And was it a penalty? No, no, it's a terrible, terrible injustice. <laughs> it's been a three-day battle for justice to get Gatano Berardi, one of our most uh, ill-disciplined players, <laughs> cleared of that. But, um, no, I mean, it, it was clear that, you know, it, whether Berardi had clipped the back of... Um, I'm not sure, was it their striker? It's Bradshaw, I believe. It's Bradshaw, yeah, Bradshaw. Yeah, clipped the back of his heels as he was running past. He was covered by Calvin Phillips. Uh, and so, you know... He he wasn't the last man, and uh, I believe there's also been a rule change. It's a double jeopardy rule, yeah. There is a double jeopardy rule, yeah. Uh, and so so in in any way you try and look at it, especially with those two factors, it, if it was a penalty, it shouldn't have been a red card by any stretch of the imagination. And that and that changes the entire you know um, tone of the game. Uh, from then on, Leeds are, are chasing a game with a player less, and, and we've managed to impose ourselves pretty well in the second half, I think, with that context. But there's no getting away from the fact that. It completely, it completely ruined what was a, could have been a fairly promising result. The fact that you scored so soon after half-time, you must have been so enthused and so excited and so positive and hopeful, I suppose. I know you're saying, no, we're at the den, it was Millwall. But the fact that Alioski scored... Actually, before we're going to get onto the goal, I don't know whether you discussed this last week. Peppa Pig and Alioski. <laughs> What's that all about? Did you see that clip? I have not seen it. No, no. one's seen it? So Alioski was, I can't remember what game it was. It might have been the West Brom game. He was walking down the tunnel, about to go into the changing room, and the camera was there, whether it was someone from the the social media team had the phone, whatever they do when they pass it on to the players. And Alioski just walked up to it and went, 
Peppa Pig. <laughs> and then walked into the changing He's room. done this a few times yeah. during Has the he? season. Yeah, the, Cam. It's it's Craig. I think it's Craig Wilson. There's the guy who does the like the Twitter social media accounts for Leeds. And every time he's filming these days, Alioski will go up to the camera and do something stupid. So I have no idea about <laughs> the Peppa Pig reference. But it's, it's hard yeah. to keep track of the bizarre things he does in front of the camera. <laughs> yeah, honest, that's true. I have to say, I quite like it. It, <laughs> oh, it, no, sh- no. it shows a bit of character, right? Well, it shows continue. a bit of colour. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> But obviously, to go back to the game, he scored, it was 2-1. You thought, right, here we go. But then that never really materialised. I thought that Millwall played uh, fairly well in, in, in the game. They changed things up midway through the second half when Leeds were, um, were, were really putting pressure on them. And, you know, I mean, we say this all the time, but there's a reason why we talk about Leeds struggling against teams that, that sit tight defensively, because it is really hard to break. It is really hard to break down a well-organised side. And the week before a game like that, sides like Millwall will be practising their defensive um, formation. They know that they know that they are going to give up more possession than they have. Uh, and they know that Leeds are going to put them under the cosh for periods. Like we, you can just look at any of the games, really, they've played this season. And you see that Leeds dominate the ball. And they and they dominate possession, um, and they and they, they they do cause problems. But that said, it is it is so hard to get to Leeds. Leeds system is all about creating space. It's all about manipulating space. And if you just deny the team space, then one of the most creative outlets is gone. Um, and this is something I think that a lot of fans don't really appreciate. So we always say things like, "Oh, you know, Pablo." Pablo didn't play well today or oh we miss Pablo um, when he doesn't play uh, but often the teams who really um, sort of figure leads out are the teams do, who deny uh, Pablo time on the ball and they deny leads uh, space and it's, it's just really hard if you can't get the ball if you can't get the ball in and you, you, we've even seen with teams like Manchester City like Manchester City are the same sort of team as Leeds are uh, in that they're trying to manipulate space they're trying to find space and they've got world class players mm. in almost every position doing that when, you, when you're Leeds United and you don't have those world class players it becomes very very hard to break break teams down so it, for me I, I kind of once you go down to 10 men once you go down two goals and once you score a goal the opposition are going to be like right we've got to sort this out um, and and I thought Millwall re- really did a good job of that they they pressed quite high up the pitch for for a team um, who who were uh, were worried about pressure but they had the extra player but I thought they they did quite well after that that point where there was a bit of a, a nerve a nervy moment for them. It's very gracious and reasoned of you, John. I'm you impressed. Think? Yeah, I like that. It's a very good analysis of the game. Well, thanks, mate. Not a problem. And of course, it is no crisis. And I'm presuming there is no feeling of that within the fan base. I just The only reason I allude to that is because that win over West Brom was so emphatic. Like, mm. it really felt, OK, here we go now. Even though that these are already up there, but it felt that that was such a crucial win. And to then have that result, is there any sort of downbeat atmosphere within the fans because of that? Yes, right. <laughs> um, I think frustration is mounting, undeniably, uh, and it, that hinges entirely on the fact that uh, Bielsa just doesn't really change up his starting lineup from one week to the next. And I mean, it, whether it's Patrick Bamford starting over Eddie Nketiah week after week, or whether it's Helder Costa starting over either Jack Harrison or Pablo Hernandez, that that has been an enduring frustration. Because when you see games where we're struggling to open up sides um, and we're just sitting around the box I mean uh, t- to be honest I, I think the, the um, one of the main difficulties we've had this season is we're, we're lacking a good number 10 to really sort of carve open these sides and cut cut, um, cut open space for ourselves um, and you, you do get this sense of frustration after you have results like you know 1-0 uh, to Charlton uh, you lose to Millwall you lose to Derby County the, um, these players aren't getting a, a better look in there's, there's not enough willingness from Bielsa to just give Eddie and Ketty a try even though he's, I mean, he's scored tonight he's, mm. a, he's, a, he's a proven goal scorer even if it isn't at the championship level it's, it's got to be time to start looking into options like that I think I would say that so there's been this joke that we have on on the channel that you know Leeds fans have this and I guess all fans do to a certain extent that they have this uh, attitude which is you know you solve the problems that you have on the pitch by pointing to players who aren't on the pitch and say you know if we played X or Y then we would solve all these things and it, it's been interesting because we've had Helder Costas had to come on mm. um, and and uh, in place of uh, Pablo Hernandez we've had um, times when when Enketi has played fairly long stretches um uh, with Bamford coming off and it hasn't looked as good as I think everyone suspects it, it should yeah. look mm. so I think that, that a lot of this is, is sort of circumstantial when you when you think of the fact that against Swansea um, we we deserve to win against Derby we deserve to win against Charlton we created enough to win and they certainly didn't 
create enough to win really um, and then I think that, that with this Millwall game where we actually did deserve to lose we deserved to lose but because of various circumstances on the pitch I think there's a there's this sort of build up of, of frustration um, where, where Leeds fans are convinced that, that the problems that Leeds have are, in, in, are structural and we just need to change something up we need to bring Nketiah on we need to try and get mm. Bamford and Nketiah on the pitch at the same time we need to bring Costa on in place of Harrison and I think it's very hard to sort of judge what like how do you judge something like that when um, when it feels as though actually we're doing everything right it's just not coming off for us and so for us running a stats account where we're, we're saying the numbers suggest that things mm. are going okay it's it, it has been hard it has been hard coming out going mm. you know trust the process hey, you've got to trust the process <laughs> I need the dinner um, we need to get that dinner going no I, I, I but, completely agree with you and and just to, to quickly move on before yeah just to finish sorry on this subject before we do move on something I've noticed in Bielsa and I could be wrong with this but he's always been an active manager but I noticed against West Brom he was really romping up and down that touchline and he's starting to do and again correct me if he's been doing this all the time he's starting to do that classic Pochettino crouch down you know where he's on the floor like hunched he's, he's bent his legs and he's down and you think that makes him look a bit anxious and I don't know how that transmits to the players when the manager is on the touchline looking a bit like crikey we've got we've got to get things going here I don't know how that relates mm. to the players you know well I think Pochettino yeah. probably learnt it from someone <laughs> specifically but uh, <laughs> yeah. you know uh, I, I think there's probably an element of truth to that I remember someone saying that Bielsa even though he kind of has this, this mystical sense about him he's very competitive and so you, t- you don't tend to see it in the first half he's always quite composed in the first half but especially when there's a lot of tension mounting toward the end and he probably because he knows he has to go and sit in front of the press and explain why once again we've created all these chances but not really managed to get the goals that we deserve um you know you can see him you can, you can feel he gets amped up but then he's, <laughs> to be honest we've got one of the most active uh, technical areas in the entire league because we've got about <laughs> yeah. four people cards. jumping around yeah, we've got more yellow cards from them than we do most of the team yeah. against West Brom yeah. 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 there's so many people running around I don't yeah. think they knew who to book yeah. Um, <laughs> so as a result of that you know I, I think uh, they've, they've probably got a lot to focus on the West the West Brom game just quickly actually quite interesting because that's the first time we've really seen Bielsa do something that he hasn't really done and he played quite a pragmatic style and we mm. played on the counter attack and um, actually weathered the storm a little bit in the second half so it was quite interesting to see that and then going going to the Millwall game I do, I do think that Bielsa is he is thinking of changing his system. He has. He's got to a point, I think, where he's happy to do different things with the team. It's just been the, like I've said, the concatenation of events that have happened that have just meant that we've had a few unlucky results. And everyone's like, well, you know, this is it now. But we'll see. We will see indeed. Leeds United fan show on Love Sport. Noel Whelan coming up. We've all got one, and we're not a. F- Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today afraid to put it on display our opinions that is share yours now at love sport radio on twitter or call us 0208 70 20 558 love sport radio your fan station this is the Leeds United fan show on Love Sport. Me, Matt Beadle, here with John McKenzie from All Stats, aren't we? And Jack Hardy is in the studio as well this evening. Quick update from the international scene. Of course, many Leeds players out on international duty this weekend. But in Prague, England are playing the Czech Republic. Of course, if England win, they qualify for Euro 2020 and next year. It's currently one all. Harry Kane started proceedings off inside the first five minutes with an emphatic penalty straight down the middle as he likes to do. But Czech Republic have since equalised. So it is one all at the moment in Prague between the Czech Republic and England. Chaps, we've got a bit of Leeds United 
legendary status Premier League footballer on the line right now. I can't wait to get chatting to him. Noel Whelan, thank you for joining the show. Absolute pleasure. Good evening, guys. Mate, it's great to have you on. Before we go any further, when John told me you were coming on, I did my classic journo geeky thing and thought, I'm going to look up that goal that I always always remember Noel Whelan scoring against Chelsea in the Premier League at Ellen Road. <laughs> you know which one I'm talking about, don't you? I do, yeah. The overhead kick. Unfortunately, we lost that match. Well, it was bizarre, right? Because you went, I remember you went 2-0 up. I think Phil Massinga might have scored the first goal and then you scored yeah. that epic overhead kick, like really quickly came to you. And then, yeah, you lost 3-2. You were 2-0 up. Yeah, um, yeah, not a great day. Personally, fantastic <laughs> to get another goal for Leeds, but uh, when it comes to uh, winning games, yeah, a bad day at the office. Hey, now it's John. I would like to hey, know John. what you think of the of the season so far. How are you feeling? It's gone. Um, it's a mixed bag, really. Um, I think there's many players that haven't really, you know, got going into you know full gear yet. Um, and obviously, we we know the championship. It's very very competitive and it's fine margins between winning and losing you've got to do all your jobs properly and uh, for 90 minutes as we found at Leeds United uh, at home this season we're conceding very very late goals and uh, giving away leads so um, we're still there we're still in the mix it's still early doors um, but yeah I think it's going to be another tight one of it it's just such a competitive league that uh, you can't take any game for granted as we've found out. No, just to pick you up on that point, uh, Fortress Ellen Roads, uh, what, what do you think's going on there at the moment? I mean, it, do you think it is just a case of, as we often hear, teams sitting deep and uh, not giving us the space to play in? Or do you think there's more, more at work there that's uh, meaning that we're not getting the results we need at home? Well, look, I, I, think, I think people come with a game plan to get something uh, from any game, absolutely. But, you know, it's very easy to sit in here now saying, you know, are they sitting behind the you know, sitting very deep, not allowing us any space. But let's not forget, we've had chances in every single game, lots of chances. It's, it's a fact of not putting them in the back of the net. If a team comes to Ellen Road and sits very, very deep, an early goal completely changes that, changes their way of thinking, changes their game plan. Now, we've got to make these chances count, or else, you know, the longer the game goes on, it's going to be more and more difficult. And we've seen beforehand how Leeds find it difficult, playing with five at the back, three centre-halves, and we end up skirting around the 18-yard box. Now, we need to figure out a way of how to, how to beat that low block. Um, but converting our chances would be a big help towards that. Yeah, interesting that you should say that. As a striker, um, how do you feel about Patrick Bamford? He's obviously got a lot of stick this season. How do you feel about his game? Look, I think his overall game is absolutely fantastic. Mm. Um, you know, I think West Brom was the best that I've seen him play without getting a goal. And... Um, you know, I spoke to him after the game. Obviously, any striker disappointed not to score in any game. But when you put in a performance like that, it kind of reminded me going back to a little bit of old school where he was very, very physical, very much like a centre forward back in the day, you know, grabbing hold of centre halves, you know, running them into channels, holding the ball up, using your arms, uh, using the body that God gave you. Because, you know, it's still a, a contact sport, let's not forget, despite how uh, referees certainly see things. But... You know, that overall performance for me was worthy of the man of the match that he got that evening. Mm. Now, if he carries on that way, the goals will come. But more to the point, centre-halves will hate playing against him. You know, they will not enjoy 90 minutes playing against a physical Patrick Bamford like we saw against West Brom. So he needs to keep that up and be very consistent with his performances. You know, he will score goals, but at the minute he's probably missing more than what he's scoring. And he was very honest after the game, saying he should be on at least 10, won a game, which is very, uh, very honest of the young man. I was going to say, Noel, as a striker, again, you were a great striker in your time. Is it that something that he's going to be happy, happy with in terms of that tag? Because just watching that West Brom game, he seems to be involved now in pretty much a skirmish in every match he plays in. Yeah. And I know you're saying that centre-backs are going to hate coming up against him, but... I'd imagine he also wants to be remembered as a goal scorer, not as a, a striker that was a real pain to play against. Do you think that he's happy with this tag that he's now starting to get? No, look, I don't think any striker's happy when you're missing chances. And, you know, after a game, I'm sure he goes home like we all used to do as strikers and, you know, sit there dwelling on the opportunity that came our way, knowing that we should have done better. Um, you know, if he does go home and, and think that, then that's a sign of a... Uh, a good player, a good professional, because you care about your game, you care about the job that you have to do and what's required within that team. So, whether that's win, lose, or draw, you know, you'll always look back and reflect on your opportunities, the chances that you put away, chances that you could have done better with. But um, I'd be more worried if he wasn't getting into those areas 
uh, for the chances for him to miss. You know, it will come. It'll be a day where he probably gets three one day and he scores every chance that comes his way. At what stage, Noel, do you, do you start to consider uh, bringing Eddie and Ketty in? Because it, it, it's been seven games since Bamford last scored. It, it, that was August. Yeah. Um, and undeniably, as good as he was against West Brom, I don't think anybody would dispute that. He, he was absolutely fantastic. But the, the, the longer this goes on, I mean, at what point do you think the change really does need to come in? Well, the thing is, you've got two different kind of strikers there. You know, Eddie has scored again this evening. He's probably more of the natural goal scorer and finisher out of the two strikers. Can he do the work that Patrick Bamford puts in? Um, you know, can he chase those balls into the corners and win your corners and free kicks and throw-ins, you know, when he's got absolutely no right to? Well, the answer to that was we're not too sure because we've not seen enough of Eddie. He's not started a game. So, um, you know, we need to see a little bit more of him. When a striker's in you know, in good form and high in confidence like Eddie Nketcher is now, like last time when he came back of international duty, scored a goal against Charlton, got the penalty, went away with the 21s, got a couple of goals there. That was the time to start playing him, I think, because when a striker's in that sort of form and full of that sort of confidence, you've got to play that, that striker. I want to take a little change of tack here and, and talk to you about your experiences of being around the club um, after your career has ended. Uh, I've, I'm just thinking of this because we've got the 100-year celebrations coming up yeah. in the next few weeks. Um, and there's really not many from your generation still around the club in the same way that you are. So is, have you got any thoughts on that? Do you think that, is there any reason why your generation aren't quite so prominent um, around the club anymore? Uh, I'm not so sure. I mean, I'm sure we're still remembered in, uh, you know, obviously the history of, of the club, which is fantastic. You know, for me, it's a joy to be back. You know, it's um, it was a wrench leaving. Um, it wasn't my decision, but, um, you know, every time I passed Ellen Road, there'd be a tear in my eye. And, um, you know, for me, you know, it's like it's, it's back home. You know, it really is. I'll come in early before going on to do my commentary. I'll sit at the bottom just by the dugouts, you know, enjoy the setting the scenery just being there because it means a lot to me it's very close to my heart um you know i'm fantastic memories you know i came through the the school system you know through into ellen road through to yts as a professional winning the fa youth cup uh scoring my first goal there in ellen road so there's lots of memories that i love to uh you know reminisce about when i come back there and you know everyone's so friendly we've got a good chairman there now the board are fantastic angus Kinnear's doing a great job um so, you know, everything is in a healthy place at Ellen Road. But um, no, for me, you know, Saturdays would never be the same if I wasn't coming back to Ellen Road. And I'm so glad that I'm back in some capacity. No, that is lovely stuff. What a great way to finish the chat. No, thank you very much for joining us. Sweet pleasure, guys. Have a great weekend. A sweet pleasure. Lovely. What a good bloke. Noel <laughs> Whelan, ex-Leeds United footballer and a pundit for the BBC as well. Commentates on those Leeds games, as he mentioned. It's an interesting point that you bring up there. Uh, John because he was obviously involved in and no one really ever talks about this everyone talks about the class of 92 right? Mm-hmm. but no one talks about the fact that you know the Leeds United team the following, se- the following season wasn't it actually annihilated a lot of those players in the Youth Cup Paul Scholes I remember being in that particular team Jamie Forrester up front for Leeds at the time that was a really really good youth setup coming through wasn't it yeah that's really escaped my mind to be honest but uh, I, a lot of this stuff I think is really interesting I've, I've been doing a lot of interviewing up in Leeds this week for, for another podcast that I run um, and I got to speak to Phil Hay I got to speak to your mate Andrew Dalton um, of course get him back on the show James. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just great it was great talking to them and, and one of the things that struck me talking to Phil Hay was um, just how much the, the club it's it's sort of DNA has been it was written during the Revy era and there's still all of those players from that era st- are, who are around. So you'll see Norman Hunter around, you'll see uh, Lorem around, you'll see Eddie Gray obviously around. And there's just no one really from the Howard Wilkinson era that you, you know that. And even like you say the 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 subsequent era in in the mid 90s and then and the O'Leary era either. And, and I find that such a fascinating thing that um the, just the whole the whole um, history of Leeds United is is sort of is tied up in this sort of short. This short moment where where Revy was there, I was I was looking in preparation for this. I was looking at um, each season. So Leeds obviously have, have been around for a hundred seasons now. Forty three of those seasons, Leeds haven't been in the top flight. 
uh, which is which is a huge number of seasons to be out of the top flight for mm. a uh, since nearly fifty percent of their uh, of, of their existence they've been out of the top flight and it's, I just find the the history of Leeds so interesting because it is it is about success but it's about failure as well um, and I wonder I wonder whether or not you know the the Revy era being so so important to the DNA of the club is has meant that other I know that Howard Wilkinson for example was very negative about well not very negative but he was very careful to distance himself from the successful period and I wonder whether or not that that sort of had a knock-on effect on the players themselves interesting that he did distance himself though because that, I mean, it was a title winning squad obviously won the last mm. ever first division title so I mean plucking names out of the air I'm presuming you're talking about the likes of like Lee Chapman Mel Sterling even Gordon Strachan to an extent yeah Gary McAllister there's so many and then obviously the O'Leary era you're just kind of thinking well there's plenty of great players that we've had there I and mean, they just they've just disappeared off the face of the earth when it comes to when it comes to uh, Leeds United particularly in the last few decades as well I think that the story that's really underpinned it ra- rather than the kind of success of any particular manager has been the youth system that's been the constant whether we've been in the top tier or one of the lower tiers our, our youth system's always been absolutely world class mm. the players we've been churning out whether whether it is but as you say back in the kind of the Wilkinson era get through to obviously when I can't remember what O'Leary used to refer to them at was his, his the babies, uh, the babies yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, up until now you see great players are still coming through the Leeds United Academy and that's kind of the the story of Leeds really in many senses rather than all this great success and uh, title winning acclaim. Yep, indeed, a great a great time, great memories, of course, and as you said, those celebrations are occurring over the next few weeks. Right, this is the Leeds United Fan Show on Love Spot. Thomas Wilson of Focus on Leeds up next. Giving your team a voice. Love Sport Radio. This is Love Sport. You are listening to the Leeds United Fan Show. Me, Matt Beadle, here with John McKenzie from All Stats, aren't we? And we're joined by Jack Hardy in the studio today. It's half time in Prague, Czech Republic 1. England won. Not the best performance from England, you'd have to say, to start the game. Harry Kane put the put the three lines 1-0 up with a penalty inside the opening five minutes, but an equaliser was scored by Brabec. And then it's been a bit to and fro since then. Czech Republic actually with their tails up. Chaps, if they win, they qualify for Euro 2020. That's what we want, right? I follow Scotland. <laughs> do you really? <laughs> do, yeah. do, I did not know this. Oh, I didn't want do, to mention it. Do you know what? When you came into the studio and I said about updates, I sensed that you weren't that bothered. <laughs> yeah, I'm not that bothered about no. England. Okay. Well, we'll move swiftly on. Shall we? <laughs> I didn't mean to. No. I'm sure Jack cares about it. Yeah. <laughs> of course not. Anyway, it is one all, so we'll bring you live <laughs> updates when that second half kicks off. But right now, we have got Thomas Wilson on the line. He is from Focus on Leeds. He's going to give us a bit of an under 23 roundup. Thomas, thank you for joining us. No worries. How are you? Yeah, very well, thank you. So, the under 23s, I believe you are ensconced in all things youngsters. Yeah, well. Not quite, but <laughs> I'll try my best. <laughs> so, uh, in terms of the current setup at the moment, what can you tell us about that? What you can t- what can you tell us about players coming through? Um, well, it's hard because like, a lot of the players in the under-23s are part of the first-team squad as well. So, like I say, you know, Bielsa likes to send first-team players down when they're not getting game time. But in terms of how I started, the start was very similar to the first-team. Dominating games, but really struggling to find the net. And conceding a lot of sloppy goals. Why do you think that's the case? Is there is there anyone who's a sort of uh, similar player to Bamford who's getting a lot of uh, complaints from the fans that he should be doing better than he is? Um, I'd say Edmondson, but he's not really played too much with NK dropping down. Um, Stephen started start season playing playing as a striker, but I think it's the same at first. Teams have just figured out how to play against them. So in terms of the team, who are the players that, that are really doing the, the business for, for the under-23s at the moment? Who are the ones that we should really be looking out for? Well, I've made a couple of notes. I've got Robbie Gotts. I'm sure most most fans are aware of him. He's scored two and assisted one so far this season. Very similar to James Shackleton that I can play right back, left back and in midfield. Probably not as good going forward as Shackleton, but better defensively. I think that's because he has played at right-back longer than Shackleton has. Um, I've got Ollie Casey, mm. who's mainly from under-18s, but stepped up this year. I think with injuries, the players at centre-back, he's played really well. He's he's like an old-fashioned defender, but he's still good, good with his feet. Quite good in the end, both boxers, and quite aggressive. But like I say, a lot of the, a lot of the players, most fans are aware of because they do play in the first team. 
I think we have Miss Stevens with his band he's had for the for the betting. But other than that, like I say, most of the players are with the first team squad, so a lot of fans are aware of them. And there's um, there's a slight prospect that uh, Kiko Casilla might be disappearing for a few games, depending on the outcome of an <laughs> FA investigation that's going on at the moment. I mean, what what do you think of uh, Ilan Meslier? Yeah, I've been really impressed with him. I think his first game, I think I put a video on Twitter, he's very good shot stopper, but his distribution's really good. That's both with his feet and um, throwing the ball. He likes to get it out quick. I think his first game, we are probably trying a bit too hard and he did throw a few balls out of play, but once he settled down, he's I've been really impressed, and I think there'd be no problem with him stepping stepping in for us here if he has to miss some games. You've mentioned that players are being called up to their first team um, squad, and obviously there's a lot of turnover. Do you think that's had a, a negative impact then on the on the results so far? Yeah, because I think we're not the normally play on a Monday, which means that the first team players that haven't played on the weekend will play for them. So it's normally a good mix of first team and the under twenty threes. They've been playing quite a lot on a Friday, so the squad's been very young. I think the last game against Birmingham, there were no player any older than 19. So they're all in the team, so a very young squad. I'm interested about what you said about uh, Ryan Edmondson a second ago. Do you get the sense that the arrival of Eddie Nketiah uh, has slightly muscled about the squad? Because there's a bit of a clamour at the moment for someone like Ryan Edmondson, who, who did so well in the under-23s last year, to potentially make the step up to the first team. But do you feel he's not got the minutes that he, he had last year? Um, yeah, definitely. I think I've got on here, if he's only, he's only scored one this season, I think last year he got 16. Because we only play one striker in the first team, so even in Bamford, they've been playing mainly, so Enketia has been playing. I think he's got, Enketia's got three goals for under-23s. So, he's probably a bit wasted in the under-23s at the moment. I think he does need first team, so I think in January, probably we'll see Edmondson go out on loan. Yeah. Thomas. In terms of just the future of Leeds United, I suppose, and, and what you're seeing week in, week out, obviously, I mean, do you get, do you get to most of the games? Um, I live in Doncaster, so and I'm, I'm a, my work schedule's very up and down, so I get to as many as possible, but I will, if they're on LUTV, I will watch the games back. So in terms of the future, I suppose, of Leeds United, in your opinion, we just spoke to Noel Whelan, to be fair, who was part of that 1993 FA Cup youth winning side. Is the future bright, in your opinion? Um, yeah, definitely. Like I said, the, the play pretty much identical to the first team. So, in terms of stepping up, it should be pretty easy in terms of style and what what Bielsa wants from them. But also, they're getting the chance. Like previously, like when Phillips come through and Cook come through, there's just one one or two of them coming through at once. Whereas this year, I think a lot of people made comments about it last season that our under twenty three side that lined up could be quite a few championship teams. Lovely stuff. Thomas, thank you for joining us. No worries. That, that was Thomas Wilson from Focus on Leeds, giving us a bit of an under-23 roundup. Next up on the Leeds United Fan Show, I can't wait for this. It's my favourite part of the show. A listener's questions. For the fans, by the fans, Love Sport Radio. This is the Leeds United Fan Show on Love Sports. I am Matt Peedle, joined by John McKenzie from All Stats, aren't we? And Jack Hardy is in the studio with us as well. We've got about 13, 14 minutes left of the show and we are moving on to my favourite part of the show, listeners' questions, because this is where you tell us what you want to hear from the experts that sit in front of me. We're going to go straight into it, chaps. And this one is from Craig on the strongest starting eleven. He has asked... Do you think we've seen our strongest starting eleven yet this year? How important do Pablo and Forshaw look after that dodgy run of form? Yeah, that's an interesting, interesting question. I think we've. I'm gonna. I'm gonna be a little bit dodge the questiony about this one, but um, <laughs> in in terms of the central midfield, I think when we started off with with Calvin Phillips, Adam Forshaw, and Mateus Click, that was probably our strongest midfield three. Uh, the question then is, do you think that Helder Costa is stronger than Jack Harrison on the left? Um, because if if that is if if you think yes to that, then we haven't seen our strongest eleven because we haven't seen that iteration of players. But I think. The, the the team that we started out with with the addition of Helder Costa in the place of Jack Harrison is probably our strongest team. Elaborate on that, Jack. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I was just having a think about it, really. I mean, 
I, I think given more minutes, Eddie Nketiah would be a stronger starter than Patrick Bamford. I, I just think that there's no real way that, uh, you know, the, the amount of goals that he's putting away for pretty much every other team he's, he's playing for, even when he's, he's had a bit of time with Leeds, he, he seems to score with almost every touch. And while he may not have the work rate that Patrick Bamford does, he has a, the, the ability to hold up the ball or work the channels in quite the same way. I think given a few months, we, we will probably see a, a stronger starting eleven with him up top because he, he, you know, he just has that eye for goal. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that per se. Um, I think the issue with Bamford is that no one else is scoring on the team. Um, or when you look at the players who are scoring, it's, it is players like Stuart Dallas and it, and and, and Alioski who are, are playing as fullbacks or wingbacks, and that's a real concern um, mm. because if if, for example, Helder Costa is playing instead of Harrison and starts scoring goals. Then the issue of whether or not Bamford's justified in that starting eleven disappears somewhat, I think. And we've seen that happen in games this season. When there's been games when when Bamford's missed chances, but then someone else has scored and Leeds have won, and, the, and there hasn't been quite the clamour to get rid of, mm. of Bamford. And I think that's where what, that's really the, the the reason why Bamford is is so much maligned. I I quite like Inketia off the bench just because he offers um, that that sort of. I think he's a bit more one dimensional um, a, a player. I think Bamford's able to do a lot more. I mean, strikers have to be able to do a very small mm. subset of things yes. and Ketia does <laughs> the one thing that most people focus on very well I think um, uh, Bamford being a, a well-rounded player doesn't really matter if Leeds aren't scoring we need someone who can score so it's give or take on that for me and as I touched on earlier I mean it's been seven games ago against Stoke that Bamford last scored in August and I, I, I do find it hard to believe that if Eddie had started all of those games since that he wouldn't have scored at some point and even if Bamford was spectacular against um, West Brom as he was he also had a few stinkers in it in the, in amongst that so it, it, it's a difficult argument for me and I, I do see the merits of Bamford I do like Bamford but it gets to a point where you go that's, that's a long stretch, a long what, stretch. what do you think Matt? Well do you know what with regards to uh, Patrick Bamford in particular I am starting to become more I'm leaning more towards the Patrick Bamford camp. I have to say that I've never really rated him. And I'm going all the way back to that season when he had a very good season with Middlesbrough on loan from Chelsea. He scored mm-hmm. 21 odd goals, I think, in the Championship. Even then, I thought, you know what, I'm not, I'm not seeing enough from him. That showed when he stepped up to the Premier League, you know, poor spells with, with Palace and, and, and a few others, Middlesbrough again. But that game against West Brom, and I know we keep talking about that game against West Brom, but... It's he's being tasked with a very difficult task now, a very difficult position to score loads and loads of goals. It was really interesting to hear what Noel Whelan had to say, very much in the strikers' union, but saying that you know centre halves are going to find it really difficult coming up against him. I do think that Patrick Bamford absolutely doesn't want to really be that kind of player. Mm. We saw when he scored that goal. I think that was for Middlesbrough, wasn't it? After all those months where he hadn't scored and he scored a goal, which was a consolation, and he celebrated like a madman. Mm. You know, he just wants to score goals as a striker. I am leaning towards him because I think the point that you make, Jack, with regards to the fact that he hasn't scored since Stoke, if Eddie had been in the side, maybe he would have scored, but then he wouldn't have done all that work that Patrick Bamford has been doing. It's a very, very difficult situation we find ourselves in. Because I think the problem for me is that if you were to create, a, and I know this sounds horrible because I do quite like Patrick Bamford, but I feel I've been sucked into this uh, <laughs> into this kind of uh, pit of uh, negativity. But you know, if, if you were to create a highlight reel of all the chances, the sitters that Bamford has missed <laughs> since mm. just the summer, even against Western Sydney Wanderers when he when he missed three times within the six yard box, I mean, the, he he squanders an awful lot. And as good as he is holding up the ball and uh, you know creating space for other people, you, you can't look past those. I was at the Derby game. And he missed some terrible chances during that. And it, it, as much as I like him, I can only go so far in defending that kind of wastefulness. And I'm not entirely sure that's what Leeds United are all about under Marcelo Bielsa as well, having that massive target man who's just <laughs> barging people out of the way. I don't know. We'll move on, shall we? Enough of Patrick Bamford for one week. <laughs> uh, January investment. Oh, I like this one. Do you see any need for further investment in January? And do you think this would be a likelihood? That's been sent in from George Withy. Um. I think we probably do need a bit more investment in January. I, th- I think we sort of need to look for a number 10. Uh, we, we need to look at someone like that. Do, do I think it, it would be a likelihood? I don't. I, as I understand it from what Angus Kinnear's said, we're right on the threshold of our financial fair pay limit. Um, I, I can't really see without us offloading a player, if that is indeed true, uh, that we're going to be able to bring in anybody really, uh, unless it's a youth player that we're hoping to shape in some way. I, I really think we're going to struggle to patch that. But that's the reality of modern football. Yeah, I think most of the fans thought we could have done with some further investment in the summer mm-hmm. and that and that never happened um Bielsa's happy 
nominally that's what he says <laughs> um with with two players in each position but then you start considering the fact that if you you look at what's happened inevitably with our defense and you've lost Liam Cooper and you're already down mm. to Berardi Berardi gets sent off theoretically obviously before the before the ban was rescinded that could have been a, a, that would have been a headache for us as well and I think a lot of fans just kind of feel you know, it'd be just nice to have a, a backup centre back option who isn't a, a sort of converted right back or a, a or an under twenty threes player. And I, I don't know. We, we live in a world where it's become very difficult to manage squads. I think that's why a lot of good managers like small squads because, like, what do you do? Say we we, we play Ben White and and Liam Cooper. Who do you have as a third option centre back? How do you get someone good enough for that position who isn't going to be wanting to play every week? So I get the I get the struggles, but I don't think we I don't think we'll. Um, bolster the squad in, in January um, unless there's some kind of terrible injury to one of the players I, th- I think that's going to be one of the enduring mysteries of uh, Marcelo Bielsa's reign because I mean, last summer we knew that we didn't have enough centre-backs because I think we just literally had Janssen and Cooper that, that was when Perardi was still in his mm. previous incarnation as a right-back at that point we, I don't really understand why there isn't that urgency to do it. He's, he's clearly happy that he can share the workload between those three people but it is, it is odd, it's very odd yeah. that there isn't that clamour for it no, indeed. This one is quite interesting because I'm sure we're probably going to have more of these questions as the, the months go on with regards to Marcelo Bielsa's future. Stevie G or not Stevie G? With this guff about Gerard, when Bielsa does move on, do we think Corbyn will be a good move from within or someone else from outside that will continue the work? Gerard, etc., obviously other names being banded around, feels like a vanity appointment which would start all over. That's sent in from David Martin, not the... West Ham sub goalkeeper, I'm presuming, David Martin. John? I mean, I assume it's not him, no. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? A closet Leeds fan, perhaps. Yeah, <laughs> potentially. Yeah, interesting one. I, I hear a lot of people talking about Corbyn being promoted up. Um, Corbyn's the under 23s manager at the moment. Um, I was, I, I've mentioned I was uh, speaking to Phil Hay this week actually, and we chatted a little bit about like, what do you do, what what happens to Leeds when when Bielsa goes, and he was saying he can't see Corbyn fitting in quite the same way um, as Bielsa, because he was saying you know Bielsa comes in and he says players are going to get one day off a month, um, they're going to turn up and do eight hours a day. Um, he says that's fine when you're Marcelo Bielsa, when you have that that sort of pedigree and you have that sort of respect. When it's Carlos Corbran, who no one knows. They're just gonna they're gonna be like jog on. We're not gonna do that. And so he was saying it's all well and good saying, Oh well let's keep this system going, let's let's keep um perjuring the system as long as possible. But you can't do that unless you have Bielsa. And so as soon as Bielsa goes, I do think there's uh there's there's some truth in that argument. In terms of Stephen Gerrard, I actually think <laughs> Stephen Gerrard would be would be an excellent appointment. I think he's uh he's been remarkable. Oh Jack's uh, not sure. He's been right ra- well in terms of what I want to see from a manager, I think mm-hmm. he's I think he's tactically astute. Uh, I think he's he's obviously got the experience. He's he's got the ability to tell the players to do what they, they should do and they'll listen to him because he has that, that I mean we've seen what Frank Lampard has done this season as well. So I think I actually think Stephen Gerrard wouldn't be a terrible appointment. I mean, just given the history between Leeds and Liverpool, I'd find it extraordinary if they tried to sell Stephen Gerrard to the, Legion, the Liverpool legends to the Leeds United fan base. I'd, I'd really do you think that? Do you think it's as as poignant as it used to be, though? That I don't know. I was thinking about ex players coming in as managers. Now we're seeing with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer at Manchester United that might not work out. Is this whole ex player thing, ex rival thing, more of a factor these days or not? Well, I mean, the, the classic case in point for this is Frank Lampard I mean he's, he's famously always referred to on Sky Sports as uh, Frank Lampard's Derby County Frank Lampard's Chelsea and the idea of us being Stephen Gerrard's Leeds United is just <laughs> something that people would really struggle to stomach and it, it's that aspect of him being kind of like a, a, a modern footballing hero for Liverpool I, I just uh, I can't see it it ever going down well with the fans although we've had worse matches it must be said I think the issue here is going to be that he's just probably going to go straight into the Premier League next anyway mm. so yeah. um, but obviously as a, as a positive Leeds United fan when Bielsa leaves we will be in the Premier League so it's fine right we, could, we, just, we could take him on he, he, won't, leave. he won't leave, <laughs> That's not going to leave. <laughs> when you look at ex-Liverpool players as well what, Dominic Matteo Robbie Fowler they yeah. came from Liverpool right yeah. they know they yeah. did you're right yeah Okay. Wouldn't, wouldn't take either of those as managers. <laughs> <laughs> We've kind of already answered this, but I'll just quickly touch on it. Eddie elsewhere. Seems to me that Eddie's talent is so high that he could do two to three positions better than those who are there now, including striker, left wing, number 10. However, stubborn Bielsa doesn't seem to trust him. What are your thoughts from Johnny? Um, I've got to say, I think the questions like this, it's natural to to have them because you see Jack Harrison trips over his own feet a lot of the time but I think it's it's easy to underappreciate just how much Jack Harrison does and just how precisely he does it you know he, 
I, I think uh, Graham Smith from the YEP was saying that when um, Helder Costa was on in uh, Jack Harrison's role the other day, he wasn't hugging the touchline anywhere near as nothing. Bielsa was going mad, screaming at him to try and get back into position. So I think there's a lot of detail with Jack Harrison that we don't necessarily notice there at all. So, so moving someone like Eddie in and expecting him to pick up all of these additional things when he's just a man who he's always hugged the last defender and he's always just been good at attacking space and you know it's a completely different set of skills and expectations. So you know it, it sounds nice in theory because he's quick, but uh, I'm not sure it extends further than that. Yeah, for me, I'm always going to bang on about the, the system being the most important thing. Uh, and I think Harrison gets played because of the system. And that's it's as simple as that. He does what the system requires. And it's I think it's very hard because obviously when you're when you're watching a game of football, you're always looking at the individual players and you're judging them on, based on their merits. So if, if Harrison does something like he did uh, in the, in I think it was in the Millwall game where he sort of did this, well, it might be in the West Brom game actually, yeah, where, he, Brom, where, where he did that wonderful, <laughs> wonderful one-two with himself, got around the player and then dribbled <laughs> straight out of play. Now it's very easy, I think, when you're when you're judging someone on the basis of what they're doing individually to be like, well, there's a there's a black mark against Harrison's name. Mm. But so much of what Leeds does well actually goes through Harrison as well. But that's that said, I mean, I'm I'm not going to justify playing Eddie anywhere outside of a, mm. an out and out striker because that's what he does. Like that, we've said already, you know, that, that Bamford's an all rounder. I don't think Eddie Nketiah is an no. all rounder. I don't think we'd get anything out of him playing anywhere else. Um, but yeah, I think with Harrison, I'm getting to a p- point now where I'm just thinking, you know, he he's got to have more production. He he can't he can't have I, I can't I don't have the the stats to my fingers, but I think he scored one goal and maybe has one assist, maybe well, two. It, it depends. This all hinges on whether Alioski's goal against West Brom was given as an own goal in the end, because technically he's got two assists in the last two games. If if that Alioski's goal mm. has stood, I mean, he's assisted Alioski twice in the last two games. And that's not not bad, you know. Yeah. It's hard to criticise him with that kind of result. Indeed it is. Chaps, we are at the end of this evening's show. It has been the Leeds United fan show. Me, Matt Beadle here with John McKenzie from All Stats, aren't we? Thank you, John. Ah, You're welcome. And Jack Hardy. Thank you for coming in. Thanks very much. We will see you next week ahead of that game with Birmingham. Thanks for downloading this podcast from Love Sport Radio. For more, go to lovesportradio.com for all the latest podcasts, news and views. Or for more, follow us at Love Sport Radio on Twitter. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.